So good to be here with you today. I've, uh, as Darwin said, known, is this on? Are we good? Okay, good. Morning. Known Derwin and Angel for, for many years. And they're, and they're amazing sons. Uh, Caleb actually goes to Ambrose where I teach. And then a few weeks ago I was on Barnabas and, and uh, Noah was our host. So really enjoy their, their friendship. So it's so good to be here. I, um, I d- don't want to self-promote, but the book that I have coming out, The One Godspeed on Walking, I'm, I'm doing a lecture at Regent College on Canada Day, July 1st, 7 p.m. So I think it would give you enough time if you wanted to come down and, and hear that and then, and then probably hit the fireworks in English Bay or whatever. Uh, but it's on the book. It's actually, the lecture's called Pedestrian or Being More Pedestrian or something. So I'll have fun with that. Uh, you'd be welcome to that. Those are free lectures at Regent, and that's going to be Canada Day. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Luke's Gospel, chapter 7. And I'm going to read a fairly well-known story. It's a bit lengthy. And sometimes when we hear longer readings of Scripture, or at least if you're anything like me, we, there's a point where you kind of s- stop hearing it. Uh, I would invite you to give your full attention to this story. Notice the dynamics going on in the relationships. Notice the way people speak to one another in it. It's chapter 7 of Luke, beginning in verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, She began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him, what kind of woman she is that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him. Simon, I have something to tell you. Oh, tell me, teacher, he said. Uh, Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of him will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? 
I came into your house. You did not give me any water from my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not, not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she's poured perfume on my feet. There I tell you, therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, hmm, who's this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. You go in peace. For years I had a mentor. I see him now, piercing blue eyes, stern visage, German accent. And I learned to fear that man's questions more than his rebukes. I got a few of his rebukes, uh, well-earned. But he would ask a question, and it was never some frivolous thing, how are you doing, how are things? It was like a grappling hook going deep down into inmost places, sunk places, places I was only half aware of inside of me. And he would wrench up from the depths of me some confession <laughs> that I hadn't even made to God. I could see him winding up, piercing me with his blue eyes. And I knew a question like that was on its way. And I would, I would, I would quake inside. You know who asked questions like that? God. God's first conversation he ever has with humans is recorded. Presuming there's maybe some when he walked in the cool of the day before the fall. But the first thing we hear God say to a human is, where are you? Where'd you go? And then there's a whole succession of questions. Hey, who told you you were naked? <laughs> Why are you covering up? Did you eat that thing I told you not to eat? Did you eat that chocolate cake? <laughs> Where's your brother? And then Jesus, watching what his father does and only done, doing that, he asks so many questions, doesn't he? Why do you call me good? What's underneath that? Do you, do you want to get well? Do you, do you love me more than these? And I think one of the most subversive questions Jesus ever asks is in this story. He asks a couple of questions. He asks the question, who gave, you know, who loves more? But the question that subverts me every time I read it, it subverted me again as I read it to you, is this question, do you see this woman? 
turns out that our spirituality, our faith, our ability to actually relate well to God and to God's creation has a lot to do with how we see. It has to do with our eyes being opened. And so Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where he's talking about how can we possibly be involved in the mission of God in the earth, in the world, God doing good things, God uh, proclaiming a message of reconciliation, saying to, to all people, come be reconciled to God, come, come back into the relationship you were created with. He says that we're actually called as ambassadors to be the, the mouthpiece for God in that. We get to go up to people that we work with, people in our neighborhood, people we meet on the street, and, and, and we can radiate the message, come be reconciled to God. God is actually, the, the, the arms of God are wide open, come on in. But before Paul gets that and says, this is the message and the ministry you and I have been given, we're ambassadors of that good news. Before that, he actually has a bit about uh, how we see people. I think in some ways it's Paul's autobiography. How did Paul see people before he met Jesus? Oh, narrow, narrow, narrow. <laughs> Myopic. <laughs> he couldn't see them. If they didn't look like him, he didn't like them. He had labels for everybody. <laughs> Little boxes for everybody. And when Jesus came, what does Jesus do to Paul when he first encounters him? He knocks him off his horse or on the ground or whatever he does, and he puts, uh, he, he knocks him blind. It's like scales on his eyes. Why? Because he has to reorder his eyesight. He has to retrain the man in seeing. <laughs> and you remember that moment where, where Ananias comes to pray for him, and it says, and it feels like scales falling from, that's painful, right? You, you Peel scales off a thing, you're kind of removing the hard bits and underneath are the fleshy bits. Ouch. <laughs> Tearing away these things. And I imagine when Paul opened his eyes, it was like, oh, wow. It's so beautiful. Imagine the first time he walked out in the street and before, as a little Pharisee, just judging everybody, that, that, that he was just like, oh, they're, they're not like me and they this kind of person, they have that kind of lifestyle and all this sort of stuff and it's all this narrowness and this fitting people into his little boxes, his little theological boxes, his little ideological boxes. Are you like me? Because if you're like me, then you, I can like you. And imagine the first time he walked out after Jesus had healed his eyes. Irenaeus, the, the, the uh, early church father, he talked about having grace-healed eyes. <laughs> imagine the first time he walked out, it's like, oh, God, they're so beautiful. So beautiful. How did I miss all this? And so he says in 2 Corinthians, where he says, you know, if God's calling us to be his mouthpiece for this incredible good news that God is saying, come on, it's wide open, come on in. <laughs> he says the first thing he does is he says, we no longer look at anyone from a worldly point of view. 
or the Greek is katasarks, according to the flesh, according to old ways of seeing. We don't do that anymore. He says, for we're now new creations. We've got a new pair of eyes, and now we look as all people as someone that God is saying, come on in. <laughs> Turns out that our faith has a lot to do with our eyesight. <laughs> And almost a measure of the formation of Christ within us, the life of Christ being lived out in us is how do we see others. You know what the, the, we no longer look at anyone from a worldly point of view is? What is a worldly point of view or catasarchs according to the flesh? Labels, prejudice, stereotype, seeing a person but lumping them in with a group and not seeing the person. Do you see this woman, Jesus says, or just got a label for her, Simon? In 2010, I took a trip to the beautiful country of Bolivia. Went all over, but uh, finished up in a beautiful town called Cochabamba. And Cochabamba is lovely in its own way, but um, one of the things that I was standing, I didn't know this until I got to Cochabamba, but there is a, 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 a statue of Jesus that is basically a replica of the Christ Redeemer statue in Rio de Janeiro, except the one in Cochabamba is one meter taller. Just saying, little, little, little Jesus competition going on there. <laughs> Anyhow, the, 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 this, it's called Christus de la Concordia, the Christ of unity, stands up on a high ridge looking over the city of Cochabamba, harms spread wide, come unto me. And I was there visiting a friend. A friend said, do you want to go see the statue of Jesus? I said, yeah. So we drove up, got, stood at the feet of this massive statue. I'm, I'm in awe. And he says to me, do you want to go into Jesus? I said, pardon me? He says, do you want to go inside of Jesus? I'm like, yes. I didn't know you could do that. And so I'm like, I'm, you know, almost falling over its excitement. And we go over to go inside of Jesus, and Jesus is locked. <laughs> it's a true story. And... I'm thinking, like, do you break in? Like, what, what, is, like, what is the ethics here? <laughs> like, there's just people who break the roof, you know? Like, what, what, like is it okay if you break into Jesus? Anyhow, I, I, we don't do it. I go away very sad. 2012, I'm back. Friend, still there, says, do you want to go up to the statue? Yes. First thing we do when we get up there, I says, can we see if we can get inside of Jesus? <laughs> and Jesus is open. I'm thrilled. Inside of this massive statue, there's spiral metal staircase going up, up, up into the very heights of Jesus. Around every 10 feet, there's a scaffolding of, of flooring that you can stand on and walk around inside Jesus. And at each scaffolding at about face level, there's portholes, two in the front, two in the back, and you can look out from the body of Jesus under the countryside roundabout. I go up to the first level, I look out all four, go up the next, all four, next, all four. I get up to the top level, and it's right here, heart level. And I step up to the porthole right where the heart of Jesus would be, 
and I look through and I have an epiphany <laughs> because I've noticed, and I don't know if this was an accident of the design or it was always intended, but when you get to that level and you look out from that space, you can see the entire city of Cochabamba spread out beneath. And here's the epiphany. This is actually the life of discipleship. This is what happens as you go further up, higher up and further in to Jesus. He changes the way you see. And you go from seeing from your own eyes according to the flesh. And you begin to see everything the whole world spread out beneath you from the heart of Jesus. You see your spouse, you see your children, you see your neighbors, you see your coworkers, you see your enemies from the heart of Jesus. How we see is so deeply connected to how we live. Do you see this woman, Jesus asks, Or do you just have a label for her? Have you already made up in your mind what kind of person she is and already made your judgment? Oh, he judges correctly. Did you notice that? It's the dearest wish of a Pharisee to judge correctly. See, here's the thing. It's so important that we get our eyes seen the way Jesus sees uh, get these grace tail eyes for, for at least two reasons. One is, have you noticed that Jesus often shows up in what the Catholic writer Dorothy Day says, he shows up in his distressing disguises? He talks about that in Matthew 25. You know, I came to you and I was hungry or I was naked or I was in prison or I needed water. I was the homeless guy. I was the riffraff. Did you... That was me. <laughs> and people go, really? That was you? <laughs> yeah. Th there's this habit that Jesus has where he tends to kind of show up in ways that are easy for us to miss. But the, but the second reason it's so important to get our eyesight right is if we look at the biblical pattern, if we look at the stories of Scripture, and I, I think we're, are we starting this series on Jesus' encounter? So thanks for handing that over to me. Hope I'm not you know, totally bungling it, but uh, the way that Jesus meets people, have you noticed that the people who are right this close to actually entirely turning their life over to Christ and his kingdom, this close from a worldly point of view, they look like they're as far away as possibly can be. Think about that. Legion? Remember that guy? That crazy guy? Running around naked in the tombstones and he's howling, cutting himself, and he's full of demons. Did anybody pick him and say, there's the person today most likely to get saved? <laughs> or Zacchaeus, that wee little man. What he's in town saying, I think this is Zacchaeus' big day. He just seems so close to Jesus. He so goes to God. He's like, he's just, I feel he's trembling at the edge of a conversion. Like, they hated him. 
Like it's just over and over and over and over again. The, the people that are about to actually encounter the living God don't look like it from a worldly point of view. And you gotta get your eyes trained to see that actually some of the people who are this close, if we look at them through the eyes of flesh, they look like they're miles away. Like, hey, like this woman. Nobody was looking at her that day in the village and saying, oh, I think that Wanda is about to get saved. <laughs> she had a reputation. People looked at her and they just went to their default thinking. <laughs> Do you see this woman? Here's an irony in this story. And the irony is, if there's one person who should be able to see this woman, it's actually Simon, the guy who's hosting the party, Simon the Pharisee. And here, here's, I, I'm guessing actually, I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna go with me for a little speculation. There's a couple of other stories, one in Matthew, one in Mark, that bear a, a, a resemblance to this story in Luke. Now there's lots of, debate among scholars whether they're the same story or they're different stories. But the one in Matthew, it's in Matthew 26, the one in Mark is in 14. Similar kind of a thing, a woman comes in, she breaks a jar of perfume over Jesus' feet, anoints his feet with oil and the, the perfume and all of that. Very similar story. There's also one somewhat similar, we know it's Mary in John 12. And, and, and lots of this debate are these the same stories? Does this happen multiple times? Who knows? But here's the interesting thing. In the Mark story and Matthew's story of the woman who comes in and washes Jesus' feet, the host of the dinner party is also named Simon. But in those two gospels, we're told his nickname. Anybody remember what it is? Simon the something. Simon the leper. Huh. Well, what do you think of that? Simon the leper. Let's just go on a little imaginative journey here for a moment. Pure speculation. Let's say they're the same story and that's the same guy. Simon the Pharisee is Simon the leper. How do you get a name like Simon the leper? Well, you probably had leprosy. You don't sort of just attach that <laughs> to somebody. You know, this is a dread disease. It's not like, hey, you have kind of, you know, patchy skin. We're going to call you Simon the leper. Ha, ha, ha. Like, 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 the likelihood is if he is called Simon the leper, he is a guy who once had leprosy and got better. How did he get better? Hmm. Well, we know there's stories in the gospel, like Luke 17, where 10 lepers came, begged Jesus, touch me, touch me. He went and touched them, and all 10 got better, and only one came back. Huh. Is it possible that Simon the Pharisee, Simon the leper are the same person, and Simon, this Simon, is also the guy who Jesus touched at one point cured him of his leprosy. He was restored to health. He was restored to his community. And now he's wondering, huh, 
I wonder if that Jesus guy who healed me is more than just a healer. I wonder if he's also a prophet, a seer, if he can see. I wonder if he's actually, oh, uh, no, I, eh, Messiah. I, well, let's just have him over for dinner and check it out. <laughs> Possible. Some have even speculated that uh, Simon actually set this woman up to come in and crash the party. I don't think so, but some have thought that he kind of set this thing up as a test, a kind of seeing test, <laughs> eye test. Can Jesus see? Can he see people? Can he get who people are? Does he discern things? And so the, the thing is, is that whether he set it up or as I think, it just this woman crashed the party, certainly Simon's sitting there and he's judging Jesus' credentials. Is he a seer, a prophet, by how he responds to this woman? Because he says, if he knew who this woman was, what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. He wouldn't let her do all that. Ew. But if, if this little speculation is right, that Simon the Pharisee is also Simon the leper, and he's inviting Jesus to check out if Jesus is more than just a healer, that means that Simon, at some point, would have been completely cut off from the covenant community by his disease, completely banished to the outer fringes, not welcome at the party. <laughs> and if Jesus had touched him and restored him back into the community, back among the, his family and his friends and he could go back to work and he could get, go, go down to Starbucks again and all of those sorts of things, Th then shouldn't he look at anybody who somehow has been excluded from the community and say, I'm going to extend to you grace. <laughs> and you know what? So my theory must be bunk. I don't think Simon the Pharisee and Simon the leper are the same person because nobody, here's the thing, nobody could be so set free by Jesus, so touched by the grace of Jesus, so set free and, and whatever stuff you brought into the kingdom, he says, I don't, we're not gonna, I, I, I forgive it all. <laughs> nobody could be so touched by the grace of Jesus that they would be unwilling to extend that grace to somebody else, right? That would never happen anywhere, right? Right? No, no one would ever. So you know what, silly theory, throw it out, sorry. But Jesus tells him a story. Interesting, he's got a woman right there and he tells him a story about men, two men. One owed a bunch, one owed a little both fairly significant amounts, but the, the stories at the heart are about new beginnings, fresh starts. There's stories about where your past no longer casts a shadow over your future. That's what these stories are about. Where whatever was hanging over you, hanging on to you, is completely cut free. And now you can go into the future unbounded. 
That's what the story's about. There's two men, they owed these amounts, and neither had the ability to pay, and so the owner said, the lender said, yes, okay. <laughs> story's about fresh starts. And then he asks this crucial question. Simon, if one was given, given 500, the other 50, who would love more? And Simon says, the one forgiven the bigger amount. Jesus says, you've judged correctly. I think we're supposed to pause at that moment in the story and ask, who has been forgiven the bigger amount? On the surface, it seems obvious. If we're, ca- if we're, if we're, if we're tallying amounts, 500 is more than 50, right? I, I'm, not a, I'm a word guy, not a math guy, but is that right? 500 is bigger than 50? So for tallying amounts, for sure the guy forgiven 500 has been forgiven more. What if we're not tallying amounts? What if we're tallying percentages? Because the emphasis of this story is neither had the ability to pay, so he forgave the debt completely of both. What if you're not tallying amounts, but you're tallying percentages? Who has been forgiven the bigger amount? Well, Seems like it's 100% in both counts. <laughs> Let me ask this. Does anyone here, when they came to Jesus, only needed a certain amount forgiven? Jesus, I'm just running a little short. I'm a really skookum person. <laughs> I, I'm awesome. I, I've got everything so sorted out, but there's just like a little bit. A little bit. I need a little bit. If you can give me a little bit, then I can... Is anyone, is that how it works? Is anybody here came to Jesus and they didn't get the whole amount canceled? I, I think that part of the exposure, exposure here for, uh, for Simon is you love so little because you have only been forgiven an amount. <laughs> And you've never said, I need the whole thing canceled. Have you had the whole thing canceled? You still think you brought something to the exchange? (laughs) That's the moment where Jesus turns to him finally and he says, Simon, do you see this woman? Uh, do you see the, I tried to read it in a way that you would catch the dynamics of the story, but it says that Jesus looks at the woman and talks to Simon. Now remember the woman's behind him. It says that she comes behind him to wash his feet. Simon's over here, I'm not gonna point at anybody, Simon's over here, she's behind him. So Jesus turns around and that means his back is now to Simon. <laughs> Talk to the back of my head, Simon. <laughs> Talk to the hand. <laughs> My eyes are all on her. You ask me if I see this woman. You think I can't see her. Do you see her? Just got one of your stupid little labels for her. Seeing her according to the flesh. Do you see this woman? He's looking at her but talking to Simon. And then he says, this is what love looks like to me. 
It's lavish, it's unrestrained, it doesn't concern itself with trying to look dignified. This is what love looks like to me. Not your penurious, your, your, your narrow, your nitpicky little ways. You're a horrible host, by the way, he says to him. <laughs> wow, I mean, that's like, in any culture, this culture especially, to say your hospitality sucks. I mean, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't. And this woman had to make it up. She is so hospitable. This is love to me. By the way, I have a theory that Jesus, when he washed his disciples' feet, and it says in John 13, and wanting to show them the full extent of his love, his disciples, his followers, he got down and washed their feet. I think Jesus learned how to love from this woman. I think he's experienced such an overwhelming sort of uh, the presence of love from this woman and probably Mary as well that, that he said, I, how could I show people I love them? I'll do for them what this woman has done for me. Do you see this woman? This is what love looks like. It's lavish. It's not concerned about reputation. It just pours out. And, and the question gets asked very quickly, well, who, who, who's this guy? And I want you to consider that this guy who is forgiving sins and receiving people like this woman receiving her love, receiving her devotion. This is the one who himself crashed a party. This is the one who himself broke himself open like an alabaster jar and poured himself out like a drink offering in order to welcome you and cancel all the debt. That's who this is. I met her. Um, I'll finish with this. I, I met this woman. It was quite a while ago. I was pastoring on Vancouver Island. I'm going to call her Wanda. I wasn't her name, but I'll call her Wanda. I met, I met, she came into the church where I was pastoring. True story. Wanda phoned up one day, and um, Wanda just had her children taken away from her by social services, three of them. Wanda had two counts against her. One is she really liked gin a lot. And the second was is that she made her living by the oldest profession. I hope I don't have to say more. And so social services got word of it. They came in, took her three children. She had no money. She phoned up the church. She hadn't been in a church since she was six years old. She ran out terrified. She saw somebody being baptized and thought they're being drowned. Not a bad mistake. <laughs> but she was now nearly 40, and she hadn't been in church, but she was desperate. She had no money, so she phoned up the church that she had heard about, and she said, um, I need to see a priest. We're a Baptist church. And uh, I need to see as many priests as you've got. And, and, you know, we have this doctrine of the priesthood of believers, so I thought that's, that's about 600 of us, but um, 
so anyhow, she came that day, and two of the pastors met with her, and she was fit to be touched. She was desperate. And I said to her, Wanda, I, I want to tell you the good news about Jesus. I want to tell you that um, you're really thirsty, but he's going to fill you up in a way that you won't thirst for all this other stuff anymore. I told her the story of the woman at the well, all of that. Uh, she came to faith that day. She was just, she was, she, she came in distraught, weepy, didn't know what to do. She, she left light and radiating joy. And the other pastor turned to her as she was leaving. She goes, Wanda, um, this Sunday, yeah, it's so welcome in church, but, you know, there's a fair amount of people there. You'd probably be overwhelmed. So when you come in, you, you know, don't feel bad if you want to come in a little late, slip in, sit at the back, slip out early. And she looks at him like, what are you talking about? I've waited my whole life for this. So she comes an hour before the service starts. She grooves to the whole warm-up of the, the worship team. She's just bebop. And, um, she's just loving it. She meets, she likes an official greeter. She's greeting everybody coming in. Welcome, welcome, so glad to meet you. Hugging everybody. She sits right at the front, right? Like only you really dedicated people sit right at the front. Like a, even the pastor, even the pastor doesn't sit up there. And, and so she's sitting right there and, and she's just like loving every moment. Every time I say anything, even like half you know, intelligent. She's like, yes, yes. And, and then she stays in between, meets everybody at the coffee hour and stays for the next service and she's the last to leave. Next week she comes back. She's got a friend with her. Now what I forgot to mention is she's still dressing the part of the oldest profession in the world. Fishnet stockings, high cut. Anyhow, I don't need to go into detail, but... She's sitting there a second Sunday. She brings a friend from the oldest profession in the world who's somewhat bewildered by what's going on. And, uh, and, and she's sitting up there again, and everything I say again is, is a yes and amen. She sometimes jumps up. She's so excited about things. I guess to the point where, like, nobody else is paying attention or responding, so I'm like, it's just wanding me <laughs> in the thing. And uh, anyhow, it's, uh, it's Communion Sunday, and my sermon, I remember this because it ties into what happens next. My sermon that day was on if you really love Jesus and you know Jesus loves you and you've had this radical love encounter with Christ, you, you just want to serve. That's just sort of, it's not like you, you're guilt tripped or anything. You just want to serve. You want to do something. And, um, and so that was the kind of heart of my sermon. I finish its communion. In those days, our elders were called the servant leadership team. And remember the theme of the sermon. If you love Jesus, you know Jesus loves you. You want to be a servant. Uh, it's communion now with the servant leadership team come up. For some reason at this service, only two of these people are there, and they come up like they've been called to the principal's office. They kind of come up like this, all mopey. Um, and Wanda's sitting there, and she's just heard the message, if you love Jesus, you want to serve. And she can't believe in this church of 500 people or so, there's only two people among all these deadbeats <laughs> that love Jesus so much and know the love that they want to be servants. So she stands up. She can, she's shaking her head. She and she walks up to serve communion. I am dying. 
di I'm dying. I'm like, oh gosh, I'm so, I'm so fired. I, um, <laughs> I picture these hangdog elders the next day, all stern-faced, standing at my door with my pink slip, and I'm like, what am I gonna do, what am I gonna do? Um, she stands up there in her fishnet stockings, all this stuff, and I'm like, oh gosh, what do I do? <laughs> and uh, so I'm about to lean over and say to Wanda, listen, I made a terrible mistake, I didn't communicate very clearly, and this is these are really special people, and um, they, they, they get special training, I don't know, but I, I need you to sit down. <laughs> and as I'm about to whisper this into Wanda's ear, the Lord speaks to me, you know what he says? Do you see this woman? You know what love looks like, Mark? It's kind of wild. It kind of doesn't behave. It kind of breaks all the social boundaries. I like it. <laughs> and so what I say to Wanda is instead of go sit down, I say, since it's your very first time serving communion, <laughs> do you mind if I help? And one of my favorite memories in the 24 years as a pastor is walking up and down the aisles with Wanda in her stiletto heels, fishnet stocking, very short thing. She's very happy now. <laughs> Talking, serving communion to people. And, 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 and it's a, a fun memory, not simply for the fact of it, but as I looked at the people of God as they received communion from Wanda, I saw that every one of them saw her. I had never received so many notes and cards from parishioners, emails from parishioners as they did over that, and every one of them thanked me for what happened. So Jesus says to Wanda, or this lady in this story, he says, um, your, your faith has saved you. Love how you love. <laughs> Go in peace. Go in shalom. And I'm worried because um, there's a lot of places won't see her. There's a lot of Simons out there. She's walking into a place. It's going to take her a while to figure things out, you know, how to speak and how to dress. And just worried. Like, where, 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 do you, where can she go and find shalom? I have an idea. I think she can come here. God, I thank you for the wanders of the world. I thank you for uh, the way, God, you in Christ welcome us. Um, see us. Don't hold things against us, but say, come to me. Bring that here. And Father, I pray that, uh, indeed, that we would see no, we wouldn't look at anybody anymore from a worldly point of view, but we'd see them all from your heart. I pray that in your name. Amen. Thanks.